1: Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. You can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by Reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation we are talking about what's going on in Capitol Hill. Phil Kirpin is the president of American Commitment. We'll talk about the debt ceiling and uh, the discussions going on about spending. We'll also visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, and author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. is a very good read. It is... March the 17th, St Patrick's Day, and on this day in 461 AD, Saint Patrick, Christian missionary, Bishop, and apostle of Ireland, died in Saul down Patrick, Ireland. Today he's honored with an annual holiday of St. Patrick's Day. Uh, much of what is known about uh, Patrick's legend and, and his legendary life came from the Confessio, a book he wrote during his last years, born in Great Britain, probably in Scotland in a well-to-do Christian family of Roman citizenship. Patrick was captured and enslaved at age 16 by Irish marauders. For the next six years, he worked as a herder in Ireland, turning a deepening religious faith for comfort. Following the counsel of a voice he heard in the dream one night, he escaped and found passage on a ship to Britain where he was eventually reunited with his family. According to Confessio, in Britain, uh, Patrick had another dream in which an individual named Victoricus gave him a letter entitled, The Voice of the Irish. As he read it, Patrick seemed to hear the voices of Irishmen pleading him to return to their country and walk among them once more. After studying for, for the priesthood, Patrick was ordained as a bishop. He arrived in Ireland at 433 and began preaching the gospel, converting many thousands of Irish and building churches around the country. <clears throat> After 40 years of living in poverty, teaching, traveling, and working tirelessly, Patrick died on March the 17th, 461 in Saul, where he had built his very first church. Since that time, countless legends have grown up around Patrick. Made the patron saint of Ireland, he's uh, said to have baptized hundreds of people on a single day, and that he used a three-leaf clover, the famous shamrock, to describe the Holy Trinity. In art, he often portrayed trampling on snakes, in accordance with the belief that he drove away the reptiles out of Ireland. For centuries, the Irish have observed the day of St. Patrick's death as a religious holiday, attending church in the morning then celebrating with food and drink in the afternoon. The first Irish St. Patrick's Day, though, was, took place not in Ireland, but in the United States. Records show that a St. Patrick's Day parade was held on March seventeenth, sixteen 1601 in a Spanish colony under the direction of a colony's Irish vicar, Ricardo Artur, More than a century later, homesick Irish soldiers serving in the English military marched in Boston in 1737 and in New York City on March 1762. As the years went on, the parades became a show of unity and strength for persecuted Irish-American immigrants and then a popular celebration of Irish-American heritage. The party went global in 1995 when the Irish government began a large-scale campaign to market St. Patrick's Day as a way of driving tourism and showcasing Ireland's many charms to the rest of the world. These days, March the 17th is a day of international celebration as millions of people around the globe put their best green clothing on to drink beer, watch parades, and toast the luck of the Irish. St. Patrick died on this day. Happy St. Patrick's Day. At a press conference to reflect the three-year anniversary of the former President Donald Trump's 15 Days to Slow the Spread... Florida Surgeon General Joseph Ladapo questioned if anyone should take the RNA COVID-19 vaccines at all. These vaccines have a terrible safety profile at the point in in this pandemic, he said. You know, I'm not sure if anyone should be taking them, and that's the honest truth, said our Surgeon General. Ladapo slammed the Center for Disease Control and Prevention and the Food and Drug Administration for denying the truth. He said the CDC and the FDA have not said a word about the studies Lodapo said found waning vaccine protection from infect, from infection. The uh, Surgeon General praised DeSantis for his handling of the pandemic. It's not possible to give him enough credit for what he did, he said. Two to three years ago it was like a a pin dropping. There was almost no dissenting voices. He held his positions over things that made sense to him and, in fact, made sense to a lot of people inside, even though they just weren't vocal enough, vocal, vocal enough everyone was having a spasm over the simplest drop of common sense. Uh, so, uh, again, his comments now is, why would anybody take these vaccines? There, there's too much risk. Well, the FDA, in contrast to that, has approved the use of a new bivalent COVID-19 booster for children six months old to four years of age, based on trials that included almost no children. 24 participants for the six-month to 23-year-old cohort, and 36 for the two- to four-year-old cohort, 60 children in all. I would love to meet the parents who agreed to experiments being performed on their children to find out why they consented. Makes no sense. These are tens of millions of children in this age cohort. And while this sort of trial is better than any one where only nine mice were given the jab, it strikes us as really bizarre that the FDA is pushing out these at the door and recommending that all children in America be vaccinated with a jab that has barely been tested. That's unbelievable, particularly given that COVID virus presents almost no threat to any children. In those ages, European countries have uh, pulled back from recommending or even giving COVID vaccines to people under 50, except in those cases where the patient is at high risk category. It begs the belief that the United States FDA is uh, still going full steam ahead, recommending vaccines that are not actually approved, and they're being given under the emergency use authorization, not full approval to millions of children at the risk of for serious disease. Even the FDA admits that there are side effects because, of course, there are. They are with everything. Side effects can be justified if the benefits outweigh the downside. But there really no evidence that the benefits are there for children. Quite frankly, I'm suspicious that uh, by giving it to these young children, it now becomes uh, part of the uh, regimen for vaccines for kids uh, when they're when they're infants. What would that lead to? Well, total. Immunization from uh, drug companies for uh, ever suffering consequences for for uh, the vaccines. In other words, it make them immune from uh, uh, the judicial system. Could be. Well, congressional investigators have identified a labyrinth of at least a dozen bank accounts where they used was used to funnel money from foreign sources sources to Joe Biden's family, and uncovered the first evidence that some funds went to benefit. The future president, the chairman of the House Oversight and Accountability Committee, has disclosed. It's getting very close to Joe Biden, said Representative James Comber. It doesn't make sense for the family to receive these massive amounts of money from our adversaries, he added. They're not dealing with Canada. They're not dealing with the Europeans. You know, they're normal European Union countries. They're dealing with countries like Russia and China and the United Arab Emirates. I mean, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. Some of these countries that are doing business with the Bidens, said Comer. So the vice is beginning to close. Should be very interesting and see how this goes. Uh, House Oversight Committee Biden's family received over $1 million after a Chinese company wired $3 million to the Robinson Walker LLC, a company owned by a Biden family associate. Here's a message from the House Oversight Committee uh, just a few minutes ago. Now, this was yesterday afternoon at about 3 o'clock. Today, the House Oversight Committee uh, Oversight and Accountability issued a memorandum revealing new evidence resulting from the investigation of the Biden family influence peddling and business schemes. Subpoenaed financial records show that from 2015 to 17, Biden family members, Hunter Biden, James Biden, Allie Biden, and an unknown Biden and their companies collectively received $1.3 million in payments from accounts related to Rob Walker, a Biden family associate. <clears throat> so about a third of the money. Notably, on March 1, 2017, less than two months after Vice President Joe Biden left public office, State Energy H-Key Limited, A Chinese company wired $3 million to Rob Walker's company. The next day, the company wired $1,065,000 to a company associated with James Gillier, another Biden family associate. Afterwards, Biden family received approximately the same amount of money, $1,065,000 in payments over a three-month period in different bank accounts. Seems to me there's a little... (laughs) <laughs> Coverage, uh, trying to cover their tracks there. That's what that looks like. From the bank records, it appears that the Biden family received approximately one-third of the money obtained from the China wire. Chairman James Comer issued the following statement on the new evidence of the Biden family's suspicious transactions. Democrats described our subpoenas providing nothing more than records for Papa John's and Starbucks, but they failed to mention that the records were received documenting the Biden family business family business schemes, over the course of several years, members of the Biden family and their companies received over $1.3 million in payments from accounts related to their associate, Rob Walker. Most of the money came as a result of the wire from a Chinese energy company and went on uh, not only to Hunter and to James, but also to Halley and the unknown Biden. It is unclear what services were provided to obtain this exorbitant amount of money. The Oversight Committee is concerned about the national security implications resulting from the President Biden's family receiving millions of dollars from foreign nationals. We will continue to uh, follow the money trail, in fact, uh, to, to determine if the President Biden is compromised by his family's business schemes and if there's a national security threat. Well, I certainly suspect uh, there is. The Vice is closing. Well, the Michigan Senate approved legislation on Tuesday to repeal the state right to work law. This is a shame. Senators approved the repeal on a 20 to 17 vote, sending the bill back to the House. The Chamber must approve the final language. Democrat Governor Gretchen Whitmer said she will sign it. It's a new day here in Lansing, said Winnie Brinks, the Democrat. And today we are taking action to empower workers by restoring the rights that they have always relied on. Well, no, you're not. You're doing something you're undermining. You're making everybody become unionized and pay dues, which inevitably some of those dues come right back to the Democrat Party. That's what's going on. The right-to-work law prohibits public and private unions from requiring that non-union uh, employees pay union dues even if the union bargains on it their behalf. The Senate also followed the House in voting to restore the state's prevailing wage law, <clears throat> Uh, spending uh, uh, appropriations, which were in both attached to both bills, in a move that Republicans say is to ensure they are referendum-proof. Notably, uh, opponents could still protect the policy by putting a constitutional amendment on the ballot. More than 25 states have right-to-work laws in place, including Florida, while Michigan had the nation's seventh-highest percentage of union workers uh, when the right-to-work law was enacted in 2012. Now it's they've dropped to 11th in the nation. So uh, this is, I'm sure, people that are not in unions right now, they're going to be forced to join the union. I don't think they're going to be too happy about that. Well, this segment of the show is brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit the website. Give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is Life in Naples. Dot .net. Coming up we're going to be visiting with uh, <laughs> and the <name> says <laughs> gave William Yateman. he is the uh, uh, senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs>
0: Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is B's Diner, providing great service reservations are needed check out the website at lulubees.com and stop by Lulubees Diner open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulubees Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Mockley and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulubees Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239 252 4541. That's 252
0: 4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by InternationalHealthPlans.com. If you're planning on traveling abroad, most health insurance plans here in the United States don't cover international travel. So you want to travel with confidence and know you're going to be taken care of if something happens. Uh, You can travel worry-free. Just go to the website, InternationalHealthPlans.com. InternationalHealthPlans.com. Coming up, we've got some... uh, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow at the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. So
3: we're a legal outfit, and we defend Americans um, for free from government
1: overreach and abuse. A lot of that going on. You must have a big clientele. Alas. (laughs) So, uh, William, uh, we're talking about things that are going on in Capitol Hill. I'd just love to get your thoughts about the the SVB uh, bailout. Indeed. So I I guess I've got three
3: thoughts on this. And I should note at the outset, um, I'm a lawyer. I'm not a banker, actually. I I know that you've got a a background in the financial industry, so I defer to you on this. Um, but I, I do have three layman's concerns, hmm. um, and the first is uh, pertains to what is known as moral hazard. Um, and uh, basically, those are the consequences of letting these banks off the hook for their terrible decision-making. Um, this can have unintended consequences down the road. Yep. Uh, the, the second big concern I have is more generally uh, about capitalism. Um, so the New York Times ran a headline that says, Capitalism has changed. Um, and I hope that's not true. But you know, did we just socialize all uninsured deposits? I mean, did that just happen? Um and, you know, if you recall, during the Great Recession and its aftermath, we had this notion of too big to fail. Yeah, um, and now it seems like nobody's too small to fail, which means that nobody's allowed to fail. Um, so, I, you know, as I guess a red blooded American capitalist, uh, I worry a bit, um, you know, about the effects upon our market economy. And then the the last bit of concerns, and these are sort of closest to home for me as a lawyer, are constitutional. Um, So if indeed capitalism just changed, then it was done unilaterally out of the Biden administration without any congressional input. Right. So, just is it a matter of runaway executive
1: power? Um, I find that a bit disconcerting as well. Yeah, just to pile on, I think your points are great, and uh, frankly, the moral hazard here—we have uh, now companies that are finding out it doesn't matter how we run our company. And, you know, we're going to be held—we're not going to be held accountable for losing money. I mean, the law is pretty clear: two hundred fifty thousand dollars an account, and uh, that's what's protected under the FDIC, and uh, they just waived it. Who has the authority to do that? <laughs> they just
3: waived it indeed. Um, and, you know, kind of continue pulling on that thread. Uh, you, again, I'm not a banker here, but according to, you know, reports in the Wall Street Journal, indeed all the, the financial papers, um, you know, this SVB bank just made a series of awful decisions. Hmm. Um, you know, ones that, that, well, I won't go into the details again because I'm not a banker, but it's just remarkable that there ought not be consequences for a series of terrible decisions um so you know again it was these banks by definition were not uh, you know under that regulatory rubric for the so-called too big to fail banks so i don't know we we used to have faith in creative destruction um, in this country. but That is the creative destruction, destruction inherent to capitalism. Right. Um, people make bad decisions and, and, and they, they have ban. consequences. Yeah. Consequences, indeed. So, you know, the extent to which that's eroding is very troubling.
1: Well, and just the, the political aspect of it all, is, as you think about what happened, to in uh, East Palestine and the uh, uh, railroad debacle there and uh, what happened, and the, it, because it was kind of a Republican, I'm going to submit, kind of a Republican area. There's not <clears throat> the follow-up... <clears throat> Uh, was pretty minimal. Uh, I heard one commentator refer to uh, the SVB bank as a uh, uh, Democrat ATM. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I
3: can confirm that. Uh, uh, I actually saw a report this morning as I was preparing for this talk um, uh, about how uh, Senator Schumer, among them, But congressional Democrats are scrambling to return all the donations and largesse that they've received in in, uh, the recent past from SVP, you know, because the political optics are are so terrible. Um, So it does seem as though they were um, their giving was highly tilted towards one party. And and yet that raises even further concern, not just moral hazard, but perhaps rent seeking. I mean, to what extent was political favoritism at play yeah, um, in, in terms of the outcome? So the whole thing stinks, in my humble opinion.
1: Absolutely, and uh, it's it, it, as Carl Icahn said. You know, he's concerned about our entire economy being at risk as a re- result of what's going on, not only with this, but with the uh, the spending and all the things that have that have happened up to this point. So I think we're in a precarious situation with our economy.
3: I I don't disagree, um, but I I certainly hope we're wrong. (laughs) Exactly.
1: So uh, uh, you'd written me about uh, uh, House focuses on energy policy, HR1, and uh, it's symbolically the most important bill of the session. Tell us about it.
3: Well, yes. As you intimate um, with the the query, uh, HR1, every new Congress, so the first bill, HR1, Um, is symbolically the most important bill for the majority party. I mean, it's supposed to encapsulate their priorities at the moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And the the House GOP, uh, the current majority, their H.R. one is given to energy policy. And it's called the Lower Energy Costs Act. Hmm. And uh, quite frankly, it includes a bunch of sound legislative measures in terms of um, unleashing energy production. I mean, again, the, the problem here isn't necessarily American know-how nor the existence of American resources. It's uh, the just onerous red tape and outright opposition sometimes from the Biden administration, at least when we're talking about drilling on public lands. Um, so this bill would do all sorts of things to uh, handcuff the uh, president's ability to sort of uh, interfere Um, With energy production on federal lands, Um, open public lands to oil and gas drilling, it would uh, repeal all sorts of cockamamie environmental red tape. Um, That was perhaps a verbose way of saying a lot of great ideas in there, and they're perhaps best encapsulated with that old motto, drill, baby, drill. Um, something with which I've got no problem.
1: I have no problem either, but I would imagine the President of the United States at this point probably will have a problem. So, uh, again, he's he's got the the power of uh, the pen. He can veto the, the bill, unfortunately, even if it gets through the Senate. To be sure.
3: And, you know, again, the Senate passage, getting a 60 in the Senate is perhaps uh, uh, hopeful. I'll put it that yeah, way. Exactly. But I'll say this. This is an articulation of the majority's priorities, and legislating is supposed to be a deliberative long-term process. So this is the sort of thing um, that ideally in a Congress that's functioning as it should uh, lends impetus to what we hope will bear legislative fruits uh, in the future.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. William Yeapin again, Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. William, I always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Back to the Bob Hartman Show. And now here's your host,
1: Bob Hartman. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Playhouse.org. Uh, coming up, we're going to be visiting with the Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Phil Kirpin. He is the president of American Commitment. Phil, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Hey, great to be with you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Phil. Tell us about American Commitment.
4: Uh, we're a national free market advocacy group. We work really on all of the uh, economic issues, all of the fiscal and uh, regulatory issues, and so forth. And um, <coughs> excuse me, we try to get involved in uh, the. Kind of the biggest, most interesting fights where uh, a little more citizen education and engagement might make the difference and tip the outcome in a more free market direction. And all our stuff is on the website, AmericanCommitment.org.
1: Thank you, Phil. So uh, you wrote a piece that is so uh, important and urgent. Uh, More debt without spending reform is dirty. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, it's a little bit of a uh it's a little bit of a semantic thing, but it drives me nuts uh that the language that everybody uses for just increasing the national debt and changing nothing about spending or any other policy to fix the trajectory that we're on, uh, everyone calls that clean. Everyone says, "Oh, that's a, that's a clean debt ceiling increase." Uh and I, I just think that that's pretty much exactly backwards. Uh, I can't think of anything uh Really, that's much dirtier than just increasing the national debt uh, with no end in sight and no change in the behavior of Congress. And so, uh, the column's a little bit of a rant about that, and it it kind of goes into you know some of the issues around the fight that's happening right now on the debt ceiling and why uh, you know the the real problem is not the ceiling, it's the debt, and the debt ceiling is an opportunity to maybe cut some spending and alter the trajectory that we're on
1: you know this plays right into your sweet spot because you mentioned that the legislation that uh, and uh, changes that can be very important to the american people if it seems to me that we have a communication problem we have to get the word out about this people have to understand the the importance of uh this issue and uh, if if we don't do something about it i mean it's it's going to be uh I'm concerned about where we stand with everything that's going on with the banks and everything else right now. Never mind that increasing the debt ceiling without cutting uh, spending and, uh, at all.
4: Yeah, you know the uh, the Fed the Fed's balance sheet is expanding again. Uh, you know they supposedly they were gonna they were gonna run it off and uh, they were gonna have this slow uh, kind of quantitative tightening they were calling it. And now, of course, uh, the Fed is just providing you know a massive amount of uh, liquidity to the banking system and um, you know they've undone in one week they've undone you know about half of the uh, you know balance sheet reduction that they had done over the last year they've undone in one week and, mm-hmm. and uh, they're now buying up assets again and uh, you know that means we're going to have you know sort of the disinflationary effects that we've been seeing um, are probably going to be reversed uh, you know, it's it's kind of a worst of all world scenario right now because they're trying to you know expand the money but at the same time they're raising interest rates, and so you know we could have a stagflation type scenario uh, where you know in order to try to save the banking system they're pumping money in, but they're also m- making it more expensive in the real economy by raising interest rates. It could be uh, a nasty recipe. And so I am concerned about that. And of course, you know the, you know sort of the the original sin behind all of the money creation we've seen over the last several years is government spending being right. uh, out of control, and uh, there being no natural buyers for a lot of the debt from the treasury, and therefore the Federal Reserve purchasing much of it with created money. And of course, you know we saw what that did during kind of the COVID spending with the $6 trillion that was spent and, you know, 90% of it was essentially printed money. And so uh, we, we all suffer that huge bout of inflation. And, you know, if you look at kind of the trajectory we're on now with the regular budget, the COVID spending has largely run off, although, you know, we ended up with a higher level of spending than we did before, because that's always how crises work. Uh, it sort of ratchets up the size of government. Uh, but if you look kind of at the projections going forward, uh, you know, We've got $31 trillion of debt now. The CBO says in 10 years it's going to be $50 trillion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the debt increases with uh, no end in sight. Uh, the problem is entirely on the spending side. We've got revenue that's actually high in historical terms, but we've got spending uh, that is projected to start rising again very soon and uh, with, with no end in sight. And you, know, you kind of you look at, at uh, the outlook, and if Congress doesn't do anything, if they don't change that spending trajectory, if they don't come up with some, some meaningful cuts, you know, the inflation that we had over the last couple of years that seemed like kind of a one-time episode, uh, that's going to become chronic. Uh, mm-hmm. That's going to become the only way that they can finance the spending obligations of the federal government, and you're going to have you know, 7 8 9% inflation every year with, with no end in sight, which is going to be very, very painful if it happens.
1: Very painful indeed. In fact, as I think about it, the Fed really has no options at this point. If they continue to increase interest rates, it just leads to the problem that we just had with these banks already. They're they're holding uh, you know treasuries, and those treasuries have lost value because the interest rates have gone up. On the other hand, if they don't reduce the money supply, we're going to end up with more inflation. So, <clears throat> you know, I I, just, uh, I I think the only solution is to cut spending, as you've mentioned.
4: He's certainly the only one that's not a gimmick and doesn't cause more problems than it solves um, so you know you hope that congress and the president can can agree on on some kind of deal which we've seen before of course uh... when obama was president uh, and he negotiated with john Boehner and we got the budget control act uh... <coughs> excuse me which had pretty significant spending reductions which held for several years and then of course uh... you know they sort of all agreed to bust <laughs> as they tend to do uh... but You know, we're going to. The speaker and the president are negotiating, and we've got a handful of cuts that we know that the Republicans want that they've already named. Things like uh, canceling unobligated COVID funds, uh, putting uh, work requirements on uh, on uh, SNAP benefits. Uh, They've talked about uh, canceling the student loan bailouts. That would be very good. Uh, So they've got like a list of things that they've talked about, which which all of which are great uh... but Bob, they're not enough. <laughs> you know, yeah. They only had up to some seven hundred billion dollars over ten years. They need to be well in the trillions if they're really gonna alter the fiscal trajectory in a meaningful way. And so, you know, they I, I, I think that they wanna do that and they actually wanna reach a balanced budget within the next ten years. Uh the problem is that if the the more specific they get in terms of where they stand, the Republicans in the House, the more they will get hammered politically by the Democrats and the media and, you know, all the groups that are looking to you know, exploit any specifics that are laid out uh, for political advantage, and so you know they they've got to sort of walk a tightrope between showing that they do have ideas and they are serious, um, and keeping the negotiations somewhat close to the vest so they don't just uh, become you know political fodder and and not lead anywhere. And so that's the challenge they've got. But honestly, uh, they've got to get a deal that's worthwhile that actually changes the trajectory that actually does something to solve the problem or else uh, i think they risk um real you know a real dispiriting of the conservative base and uh you know kind of the sense that it's not even worth it to elect yeah. republicans if they don't do something to cut spending uh
1: so phil if, if uh, you'd mentioned some low hang i'll call it low hanging fruit but that uh the republicans support but uh, in a perfect world what would you like to see happen what kinds of cuts would you like to see
4: well, you know, I like the Rand Paul idea of going back to the 2019 budget levels, uh, which, you know, if you were able to do that on everything, you'd have a balanced budget immediately this year. But I, I think that you do that as a starting point, and then you do some plus-ups and some minuses from there, uh, you know, for the things that really are national priorities and and, uh, and so forth. But, you know, I think that uh, the idea that you can do it just with targeting a few things is wrong. I think almost every budget line in the federal government probably needs to be cut uh pretty substantially and could be cut pretty substantially given the amount of waste there is and, you know most federal employees have not been to the office in 3 years at this point and uh you know if you can go 3 years without going to the office i don't think your job is that important <laughs> frankly and so i think they could look at uh, pretty significant uh, reductions in force across the federal government and they could look at pretty significant uh, program cuts and terminations. And, you know, what What I might do is I might dust off the report that's done every few years on duplicative federal programs. You know, we have like 100 different job training programs and just all the duplication of waste that there is. And uh, try to find a lot of programs that could be zeroed out completely. And then the ones that you can zero out completely could help pay for the ones that, uh, you know, where you really have a priority and you can't roll it back a few years. But uh, that would be my approach start with across the board cuts that are pretty substantial, then add program terminations uh, to pay for plusing up some of the areas where you need to. But I, I think the idea that some things need to be off limits is wrong. And by the way, I disagree with the Republicans who say we can't cut defense. I think, <laughs> excuse me, I think there's. Lots of waste in the defense budget also, things that yeah. could be cut that have nothing to do with defending the country, like all the green energy stuff that's in the defense budget, and you know, just sort of all of the crazy waste that's in there. They've, the Defense Department overpays for almost everything also. Yeah. So I, I just think you, you, they've got to be willing to take on pretty much everything.
1: There's so much opportunity to cut expenses. I mean, the, the key is to communicate. And, uh, the American people need to understand that, uh, the dire c- circumstances we're in right now, Uh, in order for this to move forward. But I'd like to see, for example, the uh, Department of Homeland Security, let's move it to El Paso, Texas. (laughs) Let let them deal with it there. You know, I'm not being facetious, but, Phil, I just genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. I'm going to refer our listeners to your website, AmericanCommitment.org, AmericanCommitment.org. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
4: All right. My pleasure. Have a good one, Bob. You as
1: well. Thank you. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Thank uh-huh. you. At times, they're changing and trends in funeral services are no exception. The traditional, somber, formal affair marking one's passing is transitioning into a celebratory event where family and friends can gather more casually in a relaxed setting that incorporates the comforts of home. Each of issues is unique. We're all made up of little details that makes us different and irreplaceable. At Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens, there are many details that set them apart, differences you'll find nowhere else. Hodges Funeral Home at Memorial Gardens offers flexible chapel and event space, a modern funeral home, a celebration of Life Center, cremation options, and a 100% service guarantee. Call Hodges Funeral Home at Naples Memorial Gardens at 239-597-3101. That's 239-597-3101. Or visit the website DignityMemorial.com. That's www.DignityMemorial.com.
0: Back to the Bob Harton show. And now, here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Choice Social. Choice Social is a new, refreshing social networking platform, and you can find out more and download the app by visiting choicesocial.us, choicesocial.us. Great opportunity coming up on Sunday, March the 26th. I'm on the board of the Optima Foundation. I'm very proud of it. What we do is to enhance, we work to enhance school choice by opening charter schools around the state of Florida, trying to open a couple a year. It costs money, and the reason it costs money is because we don't get full funding in terms of uh uh, the, the charter schools uh, have to establish themselves for a couple of years in order to start participating and getting full funding from the boards of education, from the, uh, the state of Florida Education Department. So, the Optima Foundation is presenting our inaugural Education Freedom Gala. It's uh, an evening with Greg Gutfeldt. Now, he's a big supporter of school choice and charter schools. This is going to be held at the Ritz Carlton at Naples and Tipperon. Uh, the reception starts at 6 o'clock with dinner and the program at 7 p.m. And I hope you'll check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a great evening. It also features our Congressman uh, Byron Donalds as well. So, again, if you go to optima.foundation optima.foundation and click on events you get all the details and we will hope to see you at the uh, uh, at the uh, gala at the uh, education freedom gala on the evening of Sunday uh, March the 26th. Well, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has moved into a rare political space reaching an approval rating higher than typical for a top party congressional leader and challenging former President Donald Trump's approval among Republicans. With 52% favorability overall and 71% among Republicans, McCarthy has erased whatever it was that the House conservatives didn't like about him during the drawn-out four-day 15-ballot speaker election controversy in January. By contrast, uh, Cocaine Mitch, Senator Minority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell's overall favorable rating is 31%. Uh, 60% who view him unfavorably, and Rasmussen said that just 32% of Republicans view him somewhat or very favorably. So, uh, you know, I, quite frankly, Mitch has stayed longer than the—he makes a good case for term limits, doesn't he? he shouldn't be around right now. And uh, he's he's not doing anything to enhance the agenda and the, and the policy agenda that uh, we'd like to see. But anyhow, congratulations to uh, Kevin McCarthy. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, getting favorable ratings from people, actually in both parties. James O'Keefe appeared on the Charlie Kirk show to promote his newest project since being ousted from Project Veritas. It's called the O'Keefe Media Group, or OMG. He launched the website on Wednesday and urged viewers to sign up, as did Kirk. O'Keefe said that he received thousands of emails asking how they can join the cause and how they can help. He said that the viewers can subscribe to the website and they can sponsor and pay for a camera, and they can use it to do their own undercover reporting. This is a unique idea. It's pretty cool. And uh, what he's doing is saying, let's all participate. We can all, for example, do the recordings, like the recordings that we did at the uh, Project Veritas. And uh, we can uh, start to expose the truth about so many different issues all around the United States. So I wish him him well with the O'Keefe Media Group. And by the way, have you heard, climate activist Greta Thunberg has reportedly deleted a 2018 tweet warning that climate change will wipe out all humanity by 2023 if fossil fuel usage continues. (laughs) The 20-year-old Swedish activist tweet referred to a grim warning from Harvard University professor in atmospheric chemistry, James Anderson, who claimed that the pollution as a result of the burning fossil fuels is pushing the climate back 33 million years to an era where there is no ice caps at the poles, according to to, uh, this source. The other thing that's happening now is it's now been revealed that uh, Greta Thunberg is part of this uh, World Economic Forum. And a, a big partner with them. Apparently she's being even paid as a consequence of what's going on. So, uh, again, she's a shill. And uh, <clears throat> I love the fact that after Greta Thunberg spoke at the UN, uh, President Trump got up and said, well, she seems like a very happy young lady. I'm sure she have a, a positive uh, life. It's <laughs> and, and just amazing indeed. <clears throat> Finally, on this segment, this is concerning. <clears throat> Mortality rates among American children and adolescents rose by almost 20% in just two years, with non-COVID injuries being a top reason for increased deaths. Between 2019 and 2020, all-cause mortality uh, rates for Americans at the age of 1 to 19 jumped by 10.7%, according to data collected. And then uh, there was followed by an 8.3% spike between 2021 and 2021. Uh, most mortality rate in the two years between the 19 and 21 were 19 percent, the biggest increase in at least 50 years. The increases, uh, the largest in decades, followed a period of great progress in reducing pediatric mortality rates, according to this editorial. The reversal in the pediatric mortality trajectory was caused not by COVID-19, but by injuries. In 2020, the COVID-19 mortality rate at age 1 to 19 was point percent deaths per 100,000, but the absolute increase in injury deaths alone was nearly 12 times higher. Between uh, 2019 and 2020, injury mortality rose by 22% among those uh, between the ages of 10 and 19, with homicides rising 39.1% and drug overdose deaths by 113%. So there's this, this is a, a major problem, and I think it needs to be addressed. Quite frankly, what jumps out at me is how many of these deaths were caused by the vaccines, and we know many, many are. Of course, this is not addressed in this column, but uh, that's the first question I'd like to see answered. Uh, there's very little chance of injury uh, because of the virus, but there is a big chance of injury because of the vaccine. That should be in- researched. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space, space architecture. That and more right here in The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Come back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government and the rule of law. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in Space Architecture, and author of many books. His latest, which I've read, it's a terrific read. It's called Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design by Professor Larry Bell. Professor, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, good morning, Bob, and I always enjoy it. That. <clears throat> always great to have you on the show, and I, I enjoy talking about your columns from Newsmax, uh, it comes out a couple of times a week. It's uh, the the top, title of the uh, column is "On Point." Your latest is "Did Biden's remarkable wealth come from civil service?" Uh, kind of tongue in cheek question. Maybe you could tell us about it.
2: Well, this is a story that I think is going to be, you know, <laughs> dripping and drabbing all you know up through the twenty twenty four election. But it's almost too much to write about in a single column. Make it bite size, but. You know, looking at the uh, Biden family influence peddling, there's just a logjam of of, of uh, issues surrounding that uh, in terms of you know money that the Biden family has gotten from from almost all of our adversaries, whether it's Russia, oligarchs, and and Chinese Communist Party, and Ukraine, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, funneled through various accounts. And these have been, you know, well-known and well-understood for a long time. Yeah. They're, you know, the, uh, you know, the federal court in Delaware has been, you know, looking at Treasury reports, Treasury Department reports of over 150 suspicious activity reports with banking records tracing back to originally it was uh, Hunter Biden and James, Jim Biden, uh, uh, Joe's brother, and now we're. You know, they, and they've been. Treasury has been blocking Congress and getting that information, and uh, now it's starting to it's starting to get out, and we're starting to see the, uh, you know, banking records and the uh, the new House Oversight Committee headed by James Comer is now starting to get some of those reports, and it seems like rather than one or two Bidens, there's several Bidens that have been getting. Money from these foreign sources, and, and I think we're going to see you know, there's more and more of that. Now that they have those records; they can trace the money trail, and it really is, in this case, follow the money. And it's eye-bleeding to see how, you know, the, the Biden business interests when when Joe was vice president, and now that some of these delayed payments that after he left the vice presidency, the money seemed to be un you know unleashed and flowing to, you know, the family, and you, you know, and Comer and his committee and others are asking, well, if, you know, what exactly, what products did the Biden family, what, what products were they providing to get this, these monies? Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's, uh, it's,
1: it's a holy mess. Well, it's pretty clear that uh, they're not providing anything of value except for political influence. And if that's the case, if you're thinking about China, <clears throat> I guess the latest uh, information dropped yesterday was sent a check for three $3 million <clears throat> uh, to uh, an organization – uh, close to the Biden's and, and uh, this seems very surreptitious to me, but they're, they're spreading the money out over several months and sending different checks, obviously with the intent to hide, it seems to me to hide the transactions. <clears throat> that, uh, well, that certainly
2: seems to be the case. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen interviews with Comer recently and he's saying that, you know, that's just one of, uh, of more than a dozen of these money trails they're following. And, uh, they're just now getting these uh, suspicious activity reports that have been stonewalled by the Delaware court and by Treasury Department. And it's, it's really ugly stuff because then it leads not only to what products were they selling and you know, what was a good pro quo here, but what leverage does that suggest that these foreign adversaries, most particularly spy networks in, in, in China, et cetera, what leverage do they have over over our uh, over our White House? And, uh, and you start to scrutinize, you know, why did we sell 100 million barrels of oil from the strategic petroleum reserve to China in the middle of a oil shortage? And you know, and there's all kinds of all kinds of issues uh, regarding and, and suspicions that arise. And is even even if some of these prove to be not quid pro quo influences on foreign policy the very appearance that they do which which has been flagged before but you know to the state department that these look suspicious this is i've written about this you know it's been going on for you know for a very long time the very appearance of this suggests that we're compromised and and that that lowers our credibility with our both allies and adversaries alike
1: Absolutely, and uh, one of the important points that you made here is that uh, here Joe Biden has never had a real job; he's always uh, been in elected office since he's 29 years of age, or something to that effect. In any event, uh, his net worth right now is what I think you mentioned, uh, in excess of nine million dollars.
2: Yeah, and he got fifteen million dollars apparently. And I wrote this article; he got fifteen million dollars over a two to three year period after he left the. Uh, as vice president, as I recall in my article, and and uh, that was a windfall, you know. And then you then you add to that money that, there you know we don't know went into the Penn Biden Center, Pennsylvania University, of Pennsylvania, and and uh, and and other other institutions at times where you know you know the our our current Secretary of State headed headed that organization for Biden, so you yeah. see. All of these you know all of these intrigues, and it's, it's really, really ugly stuff and, and I think it's eye- bleeding you know I think the public mostly can't get our
1: mind around how a, how
2: elephants that large could live in your living room, not have the, have the media report it over, over these years.
1: On the other hand, the the vice is closing. (laughs) It's great to see Comer and his committee and the work that they're doing right now. More and more is being revealed, and my hope is that uh, the mainstream media will cover this and make sure that the word gets out to to the populace.
3: Yeah, I think the big
2: question is, you know, is a a model, you know, a financial model. You know, the media lives on on clicks and eyeballs, you know, and, and you... You know the, the the biggest news of all is really this appearance of corruption in top level of our government and covers up cover-ups yeah by DRJ and FBI the the hundred laptops information and and so on um, and and you, you wonder I, I think one of them one of the issues is that the media the mainstream media has been complicit in this and by covering it now they're having to admit that they yeah. having to well, how, you know, how can you have been so stupid or blind or you know, turning, your, you know, turning your head the other way? And so they got some explaining to do, and and, and uh, that's going to be painful.
1: Absolutely. Again, Professor Larry Bell, uh, his latest book, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. I also hope you'll check out Newsmax.com and Professor Bell's column, On Point. Professor, I really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: And Bob, thanks for
1: the invite. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Professor. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. On Monday, we're going to visit with uh, Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of historycentral.com. We're talking about current global events. Larry Reed is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and former Barron's Washington Bureau Ch- Chief and author of many murder mysteries, Jim McTagg, will be joining us as well. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast, a great weekend as well, and happy St. Patrick's Day. Namaste. <laughs>